0: on Triple M Mining HQ. Good morning and welcome to Mining HQ, your go-to show for everything happening in the mining industry. Chris here today is going to be sitting down with Noel Ong from Coffee with Samso. It's been often said that exploration is the lifeblood of the mining industry. And Noel's going to look at probably the best example of exploration to date, Olympic Dam. We find out why it was so successful and what are some of the key learnings from this incredible model.
1: Chris, good morning.
0: Hello, Pablo. Good morning to you. Also, Coffee with Samso, one of our regulars, Noel Ong. Good morning, Noel.
1: Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm really
0: good. Okay, let's go 560 Ks north of Adelaide, and we're talking about one of the world's most significant deposits of gold, copper, and uranium the Olympic Dam. Now, you call this the ultimate exploration model. What's your thoughts there?
1: Chris, you know, I've always sort of said the big discoveries are all made via exploration and we have had many conversations here on um, on HQ about this. The Olympic dam story will probably, you know, probably never be repeated by a small cap uh, because the company who made the discovery was Western Mining Corporation Limited or WMC and, you know, they were in some ways a small cap, not, not, not small in today's terms, but but not big, definitely not like BHP. So look, I'm sure the bigger companies are doing what uh, Western mining used to do. Um, but you know, definitely BHP or Rio Tinto or Vale uh, was definitely not doing what they were doing. So look, this this is a story of an idea to look for copper. They just said, you know, let's look for copper in 1957, which um, en- ended up in a discovery in 1976 and consequent mining in 1988.
0: Well, we know Olympic Dam was a big deposit, so how big was it?
1: Look, in 2009, Olympic Dam had a resource that's 9.1 billion tonnes of resource. Uh, It was uh, four times bigger than the initial resource that Western Mining had announced early on, not long after discovery. Uh, This is done by BHP after they uh, took them over. So it was worth somewhere around $863 US dollars in two thousand and seventeen, it was reported that there was one hundred and twenty million tons of copper equivalent, and it will take five hundred years to deplete the resource at that time so that will give you some sort of an idea of how big this is you know when When the discovery hole happened and and that was r d ten which is you know ten holes after the first one uh, was laid out, um, it was one hundred and seventy meters at two point one two percent copper and about just um, 0.06% uranium oxide. So now that would have been a great sign for any geologist uh, then and now. I, c- I can tell you that um, even today, the Olympic Dam deposit is one of the largest single deposit in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, there are much larger promises, but let's just say that this is a generational value adding process for any group or person who uh, may have been the vendor.
0: So Noel, I've got to ask the question in your humble opinion, what what was special about the process?
1: Look, you know, as an exploration geologist, you know, um, to me, the special aspect of the story is about the journey to discovery. Uh, when they got to the target, you know, Olympic Dam, it was relatively simple to drill it out and refine the search. I guess, you know, it's always about the drilling. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is a, that was simple, but if you look at the search, you know, that started in, 1950, in 1957 and ended in 1976, it's, it's, it's a long journey. You know, as David Upton, who's the author of the book, you know, he, he pointed out, it's a story of creativity, persistence, and faith in their abilities, you know. In my interview with David, which I did with SSM So Insight, those three words is what the essence of the lessons from the discovery. Um, what listeners have to consider at this point, you know, that deposit was, there was no outcrop, um, and they had quality personnel and focused mentality, you know that even at one point in time in that journey from 1957, um, one of the guys took leave and on half pay went back to university to, to see if he can learn more techniques and learn what else is out there. And then there was an example uh, about the, the hardworking ethos. You know, uh, there was a, a couple of guys, Hugh Rutter and Terry Brooks, who were this was near the near the discovery time, Um they were on Their way out to do a ground make had an accident, the car was stuffed, they couldn't use it. But instead of giving up and waiting for help, they said, Oh, let's just continue to do the survey from here, you know. And when they and you know, it, they, they, they even surveyed correctly, so and there was years of research that came up with a method that could they could use to search, you know, like you know, they came up the altered basalt and, and the lineaments and things like that, and they used you mm-hmm. know. These are all new things at that time, that, and 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 then don't forget there was limited budget as well, and there was competitive projects, projects that was saying you know why not spend money here and not there if you're not getting the results, um, fighting against the doubts and the potential of no success by them, within themselves and within what other people would see, it's a new area, and then don't forget it's deep cover, you know over 300, 400 meters deep, so. You know, at, at the end you know in some ways this is like an accidental discovery if you want to put it that way
0: now, what about some issues after discovery and all the discovery had a long hard road even after discovery right?
1: Yes, you know <clears throat> there was uranium in the deposit and they had a lot of issues politically and with you know the green movement at that time and um and and this was you know although you can see it's not a problem because obviously now we know that they've over overcame that. But it was, you know, you imagine at a point in time, it was a big problem. And then on top of that, you know, over the whole journey, um, the copper price in uranium was going backwards. And in fact, copper pricing was at almost lower since 60 years. So they they had, after discovery, and they were going into production, you know, the, the struggle was not confined to the discovery, but the thing, and there was um, the struggle after. So, so they had to create a resource, but then due to complexity of the deposit, they had a hard time to figure it out. You know, how big was this going to get? Can we mine it? Uh, you know, things like that. So then the demonstration came, in the in the political headache of the uranium part of the deposit. Looking as, as I said, you know, as we all know now, you know, that got that sorted, and then became a mine. But, you know, what was hard for Western Mining was that they had to endure the worst pricing for copper and uranium. So you can imagine for a mining company, you know, not making money or good money is a problem. And, you know, in in some sort of way, in 2005, when BHP took them over, the price of copper and uranium started to rise. And that work did allow the company to realize, you know, the deposit. and, And it became, you know, a much bigger deposit than Western Mining had initially estimated.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing the word persistence. That sounds like it's everything. So I guess what you're talking about is that mineral exploration. It's not an overnight success.
1: Yeah, look, definitely not an overnight success. You know, it's look, Chris. This is not your typical mineral exploration to story. You know, in today's world, this kind of stuff probably safely be said that it will never exist for a small company space. But in a nutshell, you know that 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 is the essence of it. So. When you look at the endurance and the bulldog persistence that was present at that time, um, it would have made most companies broke today, and at least forced a refocus to another project. So there was also a part when two members of the team was on their way. You know, the one I, the example I gave earlier, you know, that definitely would not have happened. So it's a, just that point alone, uh, you can imagine what uh, is the difference between then and now.
0: So Noel, in your opinion, was this a great work of science or maybe just good luck?
1: Look, I think in everything we do, there is an element of luck. In this case, you know, it was a journey that started in 1957, you know, from Western mining saying, let's look for copper and let's figure out where is the best place to look for it. Then they came up with a theory of what could be the source of copper and the altered basalt theory was born. And I would say that, you know, that is a lot more complicated, but you know, from a layman description, that was the beginning. So, you know, if you have to remember at that time, the South Australian Guala Craton was a place of little mineral exploration interest. However, there was a decent amount of oil and gas exploration. So, and the brains behind the search set up to piece together the likelihood of potential copper discovery. I mean, Western Mining was an exploration um, sort of company with great discoveries in the 50s, 60s and 70s. So by defying, and, and, you know, by defying conventional thinking and being creative and brave, um, you know, that sort of led to the, and, and, and then there was the lack of success in finding company, uh, copper, I should say, um, you know, and, and the company had to to find ways to to, to deliver discovery.
0: So a bit of a takeaway, now for the listeners of Mining HQ, what would the takeaway be from this chat this morning?
1: Oh, look, the lesson that is learned, you know, I guess can be learned here is, look, the search was a back the basics and the courage to ignore the findings of previous explorers. I mean, Western mining wanted to, de- to develop their own theories and rewrite the search for copper so that, you know, let no other uh, sort of potential ideas cloud the real theories. So this was untested theories and many of the theories were frowned upon at that stage you know western money at one point uh, in the book they said it was called a western wasting money company uh but you know sir rv Parbo and the directors of the company trust and believed in the scientists slash geologists geophysicists and, and all those guys that were, were taking part so it's a combination of you know creativity faith and the collective single-minded nature of the company that drove them to the success that was to come with the discovery of a lifetime in Olympic Dam.
0: And for the average listener, what does it all mean? I mean, what should they be taking away from here to help them make that decision in investing in a company?
1: Oh, look, I've always been a voice for a good dose of mineral expression to find value for investors. I'm not a big fan of brown fuel kind of stuff but look most times it's hard to explain as the general investor do not understand the journey required if you rush your thinking and are forced to take even higher risk in cutting short your exploration process um, most times it ends in tears. so what the book highlighted is the real timing of a discovery of this nature the size of discovery is rare the journey taken is absolutely rare to you know what it is today you know having to take away should be that exploration is a marathon and it's about testing theories. Companies should be allowed to be given time and the process to happen. Hence, when people look at companies and the story that they're telling, investors should look firstly at management. What I mean is that are they technical? Are they people who are really into making a discovery? Do they have the skill set? And secondly, the project. Is this project something that has the potential, has the legs? Um, don't go for the flavor, don't go for the sexiness, look for the potential for gro- real growth. I know this is almost contradictory, but if you are looking for a real possibility of discovery, these are the main uh, determinants. If you're looking for a pun, then you know, that's a different story. So in conclusion, as Richard Branson you know, um, from Virgin famously, famously said, the line between success and failure is very thin. The case for exploration success is just as thin. When you understand the work that went into the discovery of Olympic Dam, the difference between finding the largest deposit in the world and not was equally thin. Even with the years of work, the research completed, the testing, the new age use, the road to success was difficult. So if you invest there's a three month drilling program, that one or two drilling program would be sufficient. You know, they should take their money to the casino. I think the whats are better there. Um, look, the upside in, is that the thinking you know that generated, that came out of Western mining, are now common knowledge. The science available now are like leaps and bounds better in the steps to better existing technology, moves at greater speeds. So, in some ways, the tools are better. What stays, you know, what stays the same is the creativity, the persistence, and the faith in following good exploration process that has not changed over time.
0: Well, your interview with David Upton is certainly worth having a look at and a listen to. So go to Coffee with Samso and check it out. Noel, thanks for your research. Fascinating story. And look forward to chatting again with you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your time. For the very latest mining news in WA, stream
0: the Mining HQ podcast. Available now on the Listener app, LISTNR.